Hello, and welcome to a very special regular episode of Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. You almost threw me off. That was like the recurring dream of like being in a play you don't have the script for. I'm like, what was what was this bonus? We're talking about Gex, Deep Cover Gecko, for this month's bonus. And that's Stephen Hilger. That's me. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. So we have a bunch of games to talk about today. Later on, we're going to discuss God of War Ragnarok uh, in a spoiler free section. And I guess like first act spoilers yeah. or like more specific details. You seem to be within the first five ish hours, I would say. Yeah, that, that adds up. I think is where you're at based on what you've told me. So we'll we'll talk about story stuff up until that point, probably. Um, which, as you said, like the game is about 30 hours. So it's like kind of early act one. The stuff, first yeah. sixth of, of God of War Ragnarok. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's exciting. Uh, right. And that's that is mainly uh, in the last week. That is mainly what I've been playing. I will say I think the final boss of Goaty season is Marvel Snap, because if like <laughs> the time I would have had to play other games is like just robbed from me and every yeah. free moment. The only two get to be clear. The only two games I played this week are Marvel Snap and God of War Ragnarok, which is <laughs> like I was like, oh, shit, I have a video game podcast. I need to do something else. But I, I couldn't, dear listener. I broke free of Adam Warlock's time prison on me and uh-huh. uh, got out. And uh, I don't know why <laughs> the, one of the most heroic characters in Marvel is imprisoning me, but he has. Uh, <laughs> but I did manage to play another game that came out this year that I've been wanting to play for a while. Yeah. Uh, it's called Signalis. Yes. Uh, and this is developed by Rose Engine and published by Humble Games. Yeah. It came out on Game Pass. And uh, also, I believe it's on other platforms, but it's it's on Game Pass is where I played it like two weeks ago or three weeks ago um i i I remember mentioning it offhandedly to to chris plant when he was on the show at least which is around when it came out i think you and a few other friends recommended it to me and and just basically said it's so cool that's like all i got yeah you should play this and it's so cool i do kind of regret not playing it in october because it's very much a survival horror game i would say the pitch and this is pretty like open uh and if you watch a trailer for the game or if you play the opening uh you know hour i'm like two and a half hours in so i'm still very much in the early mm. phase yeah, you're further than i am but it's it's very purposely full of homage so the game is is it looks like purposely like a ps1 horror game but like with like grain it's as if you're watching a ps1 game through the monitor of a computer on on board the ship from alien yeah like it's like it's like there are options for like film grain and crt filter which i to be i turned all that stuff on like i was like oh yeah me too yeah jacket all the way up jack me all the way in i am it feels like narrative to have that honestly yeah totally and essentially you play as this android uh it's revealed pretty early on that on this ship which is also very alien yeah that you are a replica like every ship has essentially like from what i this the story is very indirect but from what i gather every ship has like a pilot who like is piloting the ship and then has some type of mechanical replica who just does like maintenance mm-hmm. um if things go wrong or like once they land uh that might be wrong but that's 
what I've gathered. Yeah, that's that's also what I've gathered. <laughs> so you play as the replica, and you are kind of on this ambiguous quest to find someone. And it's also worth pointing out, like as you can probably already guess, the PS One look of it and the survival horror genre. It, it's pulling a lot from early Resident Evil and Silent Hill. And there are a lot of moments that are like direct callouts. Like yeah, there's a scene early on where the character is staring in a bathroom mirror and like that's a fairly general scene you know that could happen in in a lot of different works without necessarily being homage but like that's exactly how silent hill 2 opens Mm -hmm. in addition to uh the protagonist of that game james the inciting event is he gets a letter from his wife who has passed away saying you know meet me in silent hill so there's there's kind of a, a similar sort of like ghostly call to action where like the character and the player aren't really sure why they're being pulled in this direction but they are and i find that all really effective i think this game like it really does pull off its use of homage because it's pulling from so many things and also just fundamentally having a you know old school silent hill resident evil like mashup in a sci-fi setting is already enough of a pivot that it's going to inherently move in its own direction but the game is also doing a lot of unique things and like taking really established you know pieces of design and gameplay from those games to kind of give you a vocabulary for it but is also like taking it in different directions i think it's really really cool so far yeah cool is the operative word for me it's cool i i really like i know that sounds so reductive but i i think one of the things that makes this stand out you know outside i think you're totally right that like the deviation into sci-fi is kind of big by itself in relation to the early resident evil and silent hill stuff but like hey if you haven't seen what this game looks like just go online and check it out because it is so beautiful and also has such a clear vision artistically for what it's trying to do and say these like really striking like reds on dark backgrounds is really cool but i i I hate to just keep coming back to the word cool but it's just like really every time i play it i'm like man the people that made this are like much cooler than i am (laughs) which i love to be clear uh they do some really interesting things mechanically that i'm like totally obsessed with also and i don't know how much this is present in early resident evil silent hill games because i haven't played them so enlighten me if this was in there but i really love so you're moving around it's kind of like a top-down isometric thing for the most part which feels a little bit more silent hill than resident evil i guess in some cases yeah i would say so yeah but there are every once in a while rooms that you'll go into where you'll launch into a first person view which i am obsessed with i think like i i had this idea of what this space looked like and how i was making my way through it and like kind of what stuff would look like close up based on the inference i had from being isometrically removed from it but every once in a while you get into a room and it'll throw like you'll get into the cockpit of the ship that you're in and it'll throw you into first person you just see like ice outside and you can see the cockpit and you can see like photographs that somebody who was flying this ship has like pinned up on the wall and you're like trying to figure out okay am i supposed to be interacting with something in here it doesn't even matter you're just kind of taking in the you're taking in the space and, and you're like embedding yourself even deeper in the vibe that this game is trying to elicit in you honestly the first time i went into first person i thought it was a cutscene, and i was like oh cool there's cutscenes in this game it's like oh no they want it to be a point and click adventure sometimes also uh which is a really cool pivot that could have been such a hard thing to balance but it's so seamless yeah and i think you're right it also does something that i really loved in alien isolation which to be clear is horrific but it's effective is that a lot of the like keys and locks will be like manual inputs where like you have to like yeah know the passcode and like type it in from the first person yeah. view and i, I just think like 
making that be something I, I will say too. I would highly recommend taking notes, like have like either a notebook mm-hmm. or like a, a use your phone to like just write stuff down as you play, which I've, I've actually found to be quite fun. Like it's not something I, I do in a lot of games. And I feel like that's something that games have largely moved away from. But this game gives you a lot of like you'll find, you know, Resident Evil style like logs and and documents lying around. Yeah, they do a much better job than Resident Evil at storytelling because <laughs> A lot of the Resident Evil journals are like day two of not being a zombie yet, you know, and it's like very just like <laughs> they're, they're, I love them. Like they're funny, but like it's usually like almost levity than yeah. anything else. I got bit by a guy. That's pretty weird, huh? Back to work. <laughs> yeah. Whereas in this game, like you get a sense of like how rough like the government of this world is and like yeah. how little consideration is given to the crew of this ship, which is also very alien. This yeah, like right. kind of nameless corporation or or, you know, this faceless corporation that has sent these people to their doom for the sake of profit. You know, mm-hmm. I find all of that really, really cool. But also you'll find like, OK, this is like the passcode. So like you may not have to your character may not physically have that on them when they go back to that place. So it's up to you to remember, which I could see being tedious in some moments. But I think once you just know that you can write it down or take a screenshot of the game. And like, yeah, I think it actually ends up becoming a very fun process. But to answer your question like is that in the older games i don't know if it's in maybe later silent hills but in resident evil there is sometimes a pivot to first person like you know there's the famous shot where you open a door and you just see like oh yes it's just black and then the door opens and then every now and then when you find something it will cut to first person to like show you the thing Mm. so i I feel like the style of like almost making it kind of ace attorney ish seems like a a evolution of that idea it's like i feel like the this team knows survival horror so well and has such a reverence for these games but they also saw opportunities to like build upon what the earlier games did so it to me feels like an evolution of of like what was an aesthetic part of resident evil is now more of a mechanical part of it yeah i just want to shout out really quick uh this is by a team called rose engine it's on pc xbox ps4 and switch it's on game pass and the humble games collection and i don't know what that is but i'm gonna find out um (laughs) anyway just to circle back i i i feel like i am generally a proponent of games that make me need to write things down and i think there are certain games that call for it and there are certain games that don't like i think a, a really good example of a game that doesn't ask you to write things down and that's merciful is strange horticulture which yeah. has like so many scraps of paper and things that part of the game mechanically is like taking all those scraps of paper out of your drawer and putting them on the desk and laying them out in a way that makes sense to you like thank god they have a mechanic in there for that and i don't have to actually remember all these things on these scraps of paper because the idea of like seeing a hint as to where i'm supposed to go that would go away forever is a nightmare uh and and thank you to the developers for making that happen but signalis on the other hand does have this kind of like has this kind of like reverie towards the idea of needing to keep track of information for yourself um, because you also don't know, especially from the top, how dangerous the place you're actually in is. Like, I, I imagine most people when they download this game, even if you don't know anything beforehand, like you have a vague idea that it is going to be a survival horror game. And that by itself, I think, kind of implies you're going to need to keep track of some information. You know, yeah, um, yeah. It, it has the uh metroidvania ish like you're going to be doubling back a lot you're going to be uh kind of zooming back and forth you're going to get to know this ship like the back of your hand at times 
Um, and that's all it's all exceptional in this game. I, I think like, you know, take a step back from the aesthetics. I think even mechanically, this game is really like firing on all cylinders and is and is so good as a, a uh, testament to a genre. You know, like it really oh, yeah. is like this like trophy on top of a pedestal of like this is what survival horror can be. Um, and it's it's nice. Absolutely. It's nice. Uh, you know, you and I talk a lot about the idea of those like early PS1 era graphics being used for horror. I find that sometimes I'll play indie games that have that aesthetic that are like leaning really hard on that and it's really cool to have that aesthetic but also have this really beautiful design work on top of that like this game feels like it maybe could have existed around that era but kind of like hyper light drifter and it's pixel art is like yeah. just a step beyond that you know it it, it feels like it's harkening back to something but like clearly cannot run on a playstation one you know <laughs> yeah that kind of runs parallel to just how they like use homage in general where it's like you know it, it, it definitely they're not just taking things that once were and putting them together it's like they are taking opportunities to refine on on all of the elements including the visuals mm-hmm I think it's also really well paced in that like as much as I love Resident Evil and Resident Evil 2 and like the that early era of Resident Evil games it can sometimes be a little overwhelming like you you know you're thrown in this mansion and you have like a pretty decent amount of options on where to go next and what to do and you're finding a lot of locked doors that call for keys that you may not see until much much later yeah so like that can be kind of off-putting if you don't know the game well or you don't like trust the experience enough i got lost a lot have you been getting lost a lot not really no uh which is i get lost constantly in real life and in games that's interesting i get lost constantly maybe you're farther than me but i was about to say like i i really like this game's map and it reminds me a lot of silent hill 2 where like yeah silent hill 2 is a lot about like the only kind of security you have is like make like okay i've been in this room check i've been Mm -hmm. in this room check and like that that might sound kind of boring but i think if the atmosphere is strong enough it can be really compelling because it feels like you're kind of cautiously inching either further into or out of this horror worlds you know and that can be just its own little adventure but i really like how they signal like okay these are the locked doors these are doors that need a key i i think they do a good job like early on you're in like one kind of hallway with you know a few splits and a few doors and you need to get like an id card that's broken in half but then you combine it with duct tape you have an id and you're able to get out and then actually the opening credits play so i think they do a good job of okay the first area you can only go to like x number of places and in that area the game is also going to teach you like what you need to look out for to progress it's like okay you're going to need to find keys but you're also going to need to examine those keys and try to combine things kind of like in a point and click way and then like the next area is a little bit larger little bit more demanding and a little bit more danger and now where i am there's like a broken elevator that i can like rewire like it's like there's some door like i've walked into some rooms where i just go like no no like i just i'm like i'll go i'll go back here (laughs) later i've had that many (laughs) times yes so the larry david like no no um (laughs) but i think that that's really fun like i'm glad the game is like now open enough that i can kind of chart my own course um i i think getting lost will probably happen to me because there isn't like a ton of visual identity to some of the hallways versus others so you can kind of confuse them this was going to be my note as well yes for one or the other but overall i think in terms of at least like how it's like structured 
independent of of maybe the like visual signifiers i think it's like pretty intuitive overall yeah that that's been my one point of feedback i think is is i i do feel like the the aesthetic sometimes prevents me from knowing where i can go Um, yeah i i I sometimes and i'm feeling this a lot with final fantasy 7 as well uh at the (laughs) moment but every once in a while you know again thank god that game has that button that just shows you like where you can walk yep this game does not have that and i uh We'll frequently like enter a space, be like, oh, I guess I can't progress here. I must I have missed something somewhere else. And then we'll double back to that area like 20 minutes later and be like, oh, shit, there was a hallway there that I could have walked yeah. into. I recommend frequently checking the map because you're right. There are areas that like don't look like doors that are. Yeah, that's a case where it's like you maybe were too good at emulating the PS1 here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's yes, um, exactly. But I mean, overall, the game is just like stunning to look at and it is so immersive. And there hasn't been a ton of action yet, which I'm also impressed spikes i've been playing oh, for like i was gonna ask how you felt about it yeah i i've had so they, they are taking a page out of the resident evil one remix book where mm-hmm. zombie i'm just gonna call them zombies I, I don't know what they are yet but creatures of the game the ridden the ridden <laughs> <laughs> the signals um uh-huh. creepy zombie like robots um <laughs> One, there was a hallway where there were like two dead ones. And I'm like, I know the minute I get the key and I come back, it's going to pop out. And it did, which honestly worked. Yeah. The sound design to this game is unreal. And the the sounds the enemies make is truly horrific in a way that's not just like jump scare. But like, it's like that's a sound I didn't really expect to hear. And that really like is going to haunt me for a while. Yeah. But it kind of plays. I mean, it's like hold one shoulder button to aim and the other to shoot. And the Resident Evil 1 remake part of it is that if you don't finish off the enemy like if you don't set them on fire or do another action they can potentially come back later so i like that feature because it kind of makes you even further consider your resources one point of contention i've seen in a couple reviews that i've read that i haven't faced myself yet but i can see it happening potentially is that your inventory only has six items for the whole game and at a certain point that might be a little bit too restrictive and that's a tough balance i do really like especially for survival horror i think having a cap on inventory is kind of important like even Mm. resident evil 4 which is like more actiony you're always going to be running on vapor in that game yeah on certain difficulties and you also have to make sure everything like fits in your your suitcase so i'm not sure how i feel about that yet like currently it hasn't been an issue but i do wonder if maybe six is like too much of a limit there especially considering like you'll probably have to have like a healing item and your gun so really it's four you know (laughs) right yeah i hope you can't run into the like the resident evil one problem of you can make it towards the end of the game and realize you don't have enough resources and need to like start the game from the top (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah so um but but overall that's really the only like complaint or the only like uh thing about the game that i'm that i'm like weary about yeah but the combat's fine i mean that's i think the game really wants you to avoid it if possible and to like save your ammunition Mm -hmm. which is kind of funny like the the uh like journal you find about that is like save your bullets they're property of the government you know or like something (laughs) like that where like they're taking what could have been a a sort of generic tutorial and, and using it to reinforce the setting and the world building yeah 
I do read all the emails and stuff yeah. that I find. Like the, I do really like the lore in this game. I one of the I think it's like the first thing you find maybe is like a document on how the ships are run. Yeah. Um, and that's where they that's where they tell you like okay cool the the replicas are the ones who will like wake up and do all the engineering stuff while other people are in hypersleep or whatever. But uh, they they like go really deep into the different kinds of ships that this company has built. And I was like all in on that like yeah it really i felt like i was like right back at citizen sleeper like yeah just tell me everything about this place yeah again this is the year of sci-fi i don't know why but 2022 is just full of great sci-fi games yeah there's also some like i i've only gotten a splash of this but there's definitely some like near automata robot existential stuff happening too in this game yeah which i'm excited to see more of and like you know even just the idea that like we're told that we're a replica and and this is a ship where like even the human crew is not really considered like Mm -hmm. that's kind of immediately a very interesting framing device and makes our role in this world and also like the fact that most of the enemies kind of look like corrupted replicas is also maybe concerning (laughs) (laughs) but uh i i'm really really intrigued it's also from what i know a shorter game it's like 10 hours which i think for survival horror is always the move you know it's like at a certain point you don't want to stretch that out too long yeah so i definitely want to see it through if possible i think it's been a really great experience so far and i'll report back if i have more to say i was gonna ask i feel i I feel like look i i checked this game out i really liked what i had played but i recognized pretty quickly that it's not totally for me but i also recognize pretty quickly that it is totally for you yeah. so i kind of wanted to just be like yes go have a fun time with your friend steven you're gonna get along great yeah it's honestly like i mean you know you and i are both trying to get a general shape of our game of the year list even though we have another month or so yeah there are a lot of great games that came out this year that i want to check out before i really settle on something and i'm always gonna miss something it's impossible to get mm-hmm. it all but i'm really happy i checked this out in time and uh definitely Definitely, definitely one of the best horror games I've played in a while. So cool. we'll see if it keeps going. That's Signalis. It's available on all the platforms I mentioned before. You can go check it out uh, at your leisure, dear listener. <laughs> you want to take a break? <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Wait, before you take a break, and I just okay. I was just thinking about games of the year. Uh, I just remembered that Pokemon comes out like the Friday of this week that yeah. this episode is going to come out. You and I have been like conspicuously quiet about Pokemon. Yeah yeah what do you think's up with that we i don't really know i feel like because you know if you've been listening to the show for a long time i would say most of season two was us trying to discern what on earth was happening with pokemon sword and shield we were so excited for that game and so on board for all the nonsense of like you know every every week the the pokemon twitter account was like here's gigantamax snorlax or like here's here's you know the ghost in the teacup we're like yes yes Uh yes yeah the nestle bottled water plants a pokemon in this game i still don't really know like how pumped i am for this one i just wonder if i'm maybe like getting a little bit of pokemon overload uh because i feel like we've had you know sword and shield and before that was let's go pikachu and eevee earlier this year was pokemon legends uh late last year was brilliant diamond shining pearl so i just wonder if i'm a little bit like okay i don't know if i need like a new one right away yeah but i'm getting more excited as it gets closer because i'm really curious what that game is doing it definitely at least looks like a bigger departure from the the main series than 
Sword and Shield was. Mm-hmm. You know, because Sword and Shield I, I really enjoyed, but it definitely felt like a 3DS Pokemon game. Whereas this definitely looks more like a Switch Pokemon game. Yeah. And I, I don't know if, if that's like a fair comparison necessarily. It just feels like they're deviating from what the Game Boy games were doing in, in a bigger way. Yeah, I wonder. I think the thing for me is that I loved Arceus so much. Yeah. And then I just am kind of excited about whatever's coming next for Arceus. But it does seem like this game is pulling a lot from that one. I don't know. Maybe there's a world where like that that game's going to come out this week and you and I are going to play it and be like, holy shit, this is it. You know, this, <laughs> this is the one. Um, I do feel a little bit of like a sense of remove for myself with this, though. Like I, I've, I've kind of kept myself a little bit on the back foot. Um, I haven't allowed myself to fully go into, yeah. into this game being like Cramorant is the only thing I care about, you know, <laughs> like I was with Sword and Shield. Pokemon is a series that you and I really love and love talking about. I think our bonus for Red and Blue this year was just like mm. some of the most fun I've had on this show. And our crystal bonus as well, I think, really helped me find what it is I love about the games that like especially work for me in that series. Yeah. Because honestly, I've, I've now played them all. Played all the main ones. Dude, you I caught played, them all? I've Steven? caught them all. <laughs> I haven't played Pokemon, what, what the weird GameCube one, Coliseum or something. Pokemon XD, Gale of Darkness. <laughs> I've played all the, the mainline Pokemon games and I've honestly enjoyed them all. Like I don't really think... There are some that I definitely think are less impressive than others, but they all do kind of what you want. Like they all scratch a certain itch. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I'm expecting of like Pokemon Scarlet. Unless it's like wildly off base, I feel like uh, it's at least going to be fun. But I'm also like you, like I thought Arceus was such a cool direction for the series to go in. I wonder this will maybe feel a little bit like a step backwards. But yeah, that, I think that's why we haven't really been that pumped for it. Because I'm just like, I need more information before I feel one way or the other. Basically. Yeah, yeah. The Pokemon account definitely has been tweeting a lot of stuff, uh, but I've kind of had it like in my periphery and less full focus, you know? I am very excited for Fuecoco and for the uh, ghost dog. Those two I'm, I'm like especially pumped for. The ghost dog is spectacular, yeah. Anyway, I imagine that'll be the next episode of this show. We're going to be talking a lot about that game. So I haven't seen the leaked evolutions of the starters yeah, yet. But yeah. I kind of I kind of want to keep that a secret because I want to be either shocked and amazed or horrified. Yeah. Got to log off. Got to log off this week. My favorite survival horror game was seeing Grookey become thwacky. Uh, <laughs> so if I can have that experience again with Fikoko, I'll be happy. <laughs> Thwackoko. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you soon. Bye bye. Bye. Welcome back to the show. We're going to talk about God of War Ragnarok, which is a 2022 video game release for the PlayStation 4 and the PlayStation 5. Uh, Both, which is interesting. A dual generation video game. Um, Before we even get into it, do want to say, I imagine we'll avoid... I mean, we're going to avoid spoilers for Ragnarok in this part of the conversation, at least. But I imagine we'll also try our best to avoid spoilers for 2018. But it might be hard to not let something slip in terms of discussing where this game picks up and where that one left off yeah i I would say maybe to be safe if you haven't played 2018 and you want to maybe to skip the rest of this episode yeah (laughs) Um, move because it is very much like the, the thing is not that many and I, this is not an insult but not that much happens in the first one so like inherently we have to have said what has happened to talk about this one you know mm-hmm. what i mean yeah it, it's very much a norse tale in that way and you and i talk a lot in so we did a bonus about 2018 yeah. recently which was really fun we had our friend brennan klinkenberg on yeah it's awesome uh, 
and talked a lot about how the mechanics of these games are so intertwined with the story at times that it's hard to separate the two. It's hard to not talk about one without talking about the other. And that is like maybe even doubly true of God of War Ragnarok. (laughs) I, I called you at one point just out of like... With like a fervor that was like one word in a menu was giving me a hint as to what was going to happen narratively in a game. It was like literally like in the armor menu, I saw a word that was referenced that was like, is this saying what I think it's saying? (laughs) Which was fascinating. Like that's that's what we're talking like that level of like scrutinizing copy choices in a menu. (laughs) Um, That having been said, um, how are you feeling about Ragnarok so far? I'm having a great time with it. So I was late to the God of War 2018 hype, as we have often discussed yeah. since 2018. I didn't play until a couple months ago, and uh, I really loved it. Again, we have a whole bonus about that if you want to hear our full thoughts. And I think without saying too much, if you finish that game, it definitely comes to a cathartic close. But like, yeah. you'll want to see the next thing. Like, yeah. it's. I feel like the story of the first game is very much focused on Kratos and Atreus, his son, and is largely a character study on on both of them, but especially right. Kratos. And the mythology of it all in the world is a backdrop to that. Like a lot of the a lot of the things that are happening around those two characters are sort of mirrors and like comments on the central themes of the game. Mm-hmm. So I think once that story ended, now the the remaining story is like, okay, cool. What about everyone else? Yeah. And what I really like about Ragnarok is pretty immediately we're not retreading past stuff like Mm -hmm. the idea of like kratos being a man burdened with this guilt and trying to see if redemption is possible or at the very least if he could fill the role he needs to fill now you know regardless of whether or not of what other people feel of him like can he change in some capacity right this game doesn't care about that at all anymore which i'm so relieved (laughs) i feel like it's like this is a little bit of a spoiler. Kratos smiles in the first 10 minutes of the game, which is like, <laughs> it, it took the whole first game to get a smirk out of him. And now yeah. dude's just beaming as, as Fimblewinter <laughs> approaches. And I think that's one of the things I really like about this game is Kratos has fundamentally changed in a very believable way. Mm-hmm. His way of talking to other characters and of behaving and the role he plays in the game is of a character that like, especially if you played the first one, which I would really recommend, like there's a recap option in Ragnarok and I think you can pick up the pieces pretty quickly, but I don't think you'll get as much out of this if you haven't played the first one. I would just, yeah, I would just straight up say don't do that. Yeah. Like I would straight <laughs> up just say go play the first one. It's available on the PlayStation collection. It's also on PC now, which is great. Um, So if you subscribe to that you can do that but also this is a sequel in the most direct most literal way we could mean this is a sequel like this yeah this game is picking up it's a couple years after the first one left off but it's like thematically picking up and narratively picking up like really where the first one left off and even honestly like this game looks stunning to be clear it's like graphically definitely an update over the first one but also it's not that different from the first one and mechanically it's not that different from the first one you're just kind of starting where you ended in the last game which means you're really powerful and have a lot of tools at your disposal which is very cool but this really feels like it feels like yakuza weirdly (laughs) like it it does (laughs) in a way feel like going from yakuza zero sorry from yakuza one to yakuza two to yakuza zero in that way which i know again is hotly 
really contested. But if you go from zero to one, you're going backwards in terms of the mechanic stuff you have at your disposal. And if you go from one to zero, you're going to, you know, kind of have this like linear progression or sorry, one to two to zero. You're going to have a linear progression. That's very much what's happening here. Like you are you're starting with the tools you had at the end of the first game and then you're layering more stuff on top of that. Exactly. There are definitely refinements to the combat. There are some additions that I think make it even more fun. Like, uh, for example, there was one runic attack in the first God of War, or I guess the previous God of War, Mm -hmm. where Kratos could like enchant his axe with a icy effect and it would do ice damage to enemies now that's just a button so if you hold triangle for either the leviathan axe or uh his other weapons it will charge it up with that element yeah and also the the other weapons kratos has have been given more momentum options so that's also i think a really nice plus where it has sort of one upped the unchartedness of it in some (laughs) ways and overall i would say in terms of how i'm feeling about it i think that this game is a great sequel but i also think it suffers from just like sequel stuff classic sequels shit yeah totally i know what you mean yeah overall i think just the first game i think well on one hand it is very much like a staple of the now established like playstation studio style game where like Mm -hmm. it has this kind of you know i think on the episode i said on paper it sounds lab made where it's like (laughs) what if we had like kind of a last of us ish story set in this fantastic world that has the spectacle you want from god of war and uncharted but with everything god of war did well previously Mm -hmm. which like honestly sounds great but i think it could have felt really forced it could have felt like oh they're just trying to like rebrand god of war for like this new era and god of war you know prior to that game was so synonymous with like 10 out of 10 this game's gonna kick your ass and yeah and and, and it had its place i think on a mechanical level those games were hugely influential and did some things very well but like they always sort of had this like moral combat but with less of a sense of humor energy to them (laughs) which i think i've said before yeah so i think the game actually really internalizing like this guy is is still that character and he has to reckon with that past it was a really brilliant decision and i think that really worked for a lot of people one of the biggest things that i think led to that game's critical success was how surprisingly good it was Like, Mm -hmm. like no one really like was asking for that no one wanted sad dad kratos but like once we got him i can't imagine my life without him you know it's like (laughs) so and i think the first game really benefited from a very simple objective so you had okay we've got to take phase ashes to the top of the highest point in the realms right and that's like it like other stuff happens but that is what you have to do and that is what you were working towards for the whole game i think this game's goal is much more ambiguous where like now kratos's son atreus is older he's a teenager now which is kind of cool to see especially because it's the same actors like Mm -hmm. it's a little surreal because i feel like for us you know we've been doing this show since 2018 and we've definitely grown up and matured in our own way but like late 20s to early 30s is like kind of the same energy like (laughs) you know we're we're not really doing much different maybe maybe our knees hurt a little bit more than they used to but Mm -hmm. for younger people it's like oh my you're like a new person at this point and i think i felt kind of 
like I was seeing like a cousin for the first time in a while. Like I hadn't seen them since they were a kid and now all of a sudden they're this new person. So like yeah. seeing Atreus walk on and, and be this this young adult was kind of it, it was surprisingly emotional for me. And this game's opening is so good. It's it's like doing everything you would want a God of War game to do at this point. There's like incredible visual storytelling. Uh, and it really does give you a strong sense that like there's a bit of a role reversal here where like in the first God of war game kratos is this very he's not cruel to his son but he's so cut off from the world in all ways and cut off from his own emotions and you can tell there's this like desire to do good but there's almost a feeling that like that opportunity has long passed and he is not worthy of a normal life anymore yeah and he lives a life like primarily built around shame and guilt right yes exactly it's guilt and the shame of running from the guilt instead of like facing it and confronting it and like forgiving himself and as an audience we kind of connect with atreus first because atreus is like a curious kid who wants to learn about this beautiful norse playstation world that we're in (laughs) and do side quests and connect with people and to learn and obviously we learn it's not just as simple as like atreus is nice kratos is mean uh they're more layered than that but like as an audience we're, we're playing as kratos and learning about kratos but most people i imagine will kind of see atreus as the audience surrogate in some ways mm-hmm. in this game i think it's flipped because we have now played as kratos we've gone through his journey he is a better man you know without saying too much i think he's yeah he has at least accepted things that he can't control and is now choosing to do good in his own way maybe that's a bit of a stretch but you know he's 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 getting there yeah i think one of the things i said on that bonus if i'm not if i'm if i'm remembering correctly is and and this was kind of the lead up into why is there a sequel to this game in the first place and what do you even tackle with that and what the trailers kind of implied they were trying to tackle but the first game is like the story to me at least of kratos learning to forgive himself you know and and to and to understand his place in the world um as like a god who can exist for good uh, yeah. especially and and this is not a spoiler because if you know anything about norse mythology you know outside of like maybe the marvel cinematic universe like the marvel version of these gods like odin and thor and people like that who are like generally pretty good in actual norse mythology they're all little shits and they all exist to like reflect the worst parts of humanity and kind of show how hubris will eventually overcome you and be your own demise that's like what those characters exist to exude i think so when confronted with characters like that that in in the first game kratos is like oh i'm not looking in a mirror i can be different than these people they're so bad like i'm known for killing gods and i've never wanted to kill them more than right now because (laughs) because they suck so badly yeah it's a really interesting thing but also you know needing to forgive himself for some of the horrible violence and some of the horrible acts he's committed in earlier games but while simultaneously realizing that he can use his destructive ability like for the greater good is kind of a weird interesting thing and there's they do tackle a lot in this game the morality of like when is it okay for you to take the life of another which is very obviously very different in the world of Midgard with Kratos and Atreus than it would be in actual real life I think what they're trying to comment on is like inaction is also an action like yeah yeah you know like I want to get into that in the spoiler section totally that goes back to so like you know Atreus is now this teenager and he has this conflicted sense of like what his journey should be without saying too much so I think now at this point at least for me 
I projected much more strongly onto Kratos than Atreus early on in this game. Mm -hmm. And that goes that goes into, I think, the best and worst part of this game where like this game is tackling more ideas. It's also much more of an ensemble piece, which I appreciate. I love the fact that we're learning a lot more about Mimir and Atreus and Brock and Sindri and new characters and yeah in general my favorite thing about ragnarok that is they're having so much fun with the norse of it all like we actually there was some restraint in the first game of of who we met like yeah. the gods you meet in the first game you kind of only meet the like d-list of, of norse <laughs> gods and even the creatures like there's a sense that like we're only really seeing the character like we're not important enough yet to have gained the attention of a lot of like you know odin or thor or or even a dragon you know yeah and in this game like now that kratos and atreus have essentially established themselves in norse mythology uh, a lot more people are showing up and and chatting to us and and <laughs> there's also a a much larger focus on kratos's late wife Faye, which yeah. i appreciate we're, we're learning a lot more about her and things that were kind of implied in the first game are now kind of driving forces of the plot so all of that's really working for me but i do think it makes the structure of the plot feel a little messier and like the first game did a really brilliant thing where like kratos just wanted to press on with the main quest but atreus's curiosity led him to suggest him to do the side quests mm -hmm. and it led to this banter as you were traveling of like the characters genuinely deciding what they should do which was also a fun nod to the player but it also felt like these are conversations the characters would actually be having with each other yeah. independent of like us as players having control of them whereas this game i think unfortunately suffers from a lot of like the horizon and later uncharted things where like a lot of the like go from point to point b is a lot of like huh i wonder if we push that block if the, if the puzzle will be solved or like yeah even even some of the idle banter there was a scene that kind of rubbed me the wrong way which like it was a good scene but there's a moment where kratos and atreus are facing each other on like a little log canoe basically in a mine oh yeah and it's essentially the pirates of the caribbean ride like you're on this like kind of lazy river splashing down and like it's like a it's a really fun set piece but it felt more like a ride than it did like a moment in this game's story i think i was literally singing it's a small world while that scene was happening and the conversation they yeah. had was like so on the nose of what the themes were in the game <laughs> that i'm like i feel like yeah. while this game is doing a lot of brilliant stuff like the first the first game had a lot of confidence in the visuals to imply the themes and the story. Yeah. And this game, I don't really think trusts the audience at all. Like there's just so many moments where like characters are blatantly telling you like shoot an arrow at that explosive jar. Like, I can like, I appreciate that they're trying to make it approachable, but it, there's a point where it becomes patronizing and it also yeah. like takes me out of what is otherwise a great story. Yeah. Like why, why even have environmental puzzles in a game if you're going to give me the answer before? before i can yeah. even like walk around the space and like because usually step one in those instances is like you walk around the space and you kind of take note of everything that's available and then you think to yourself okay cool so what's like step one what's the first thing i want to try and before you've even gotten to that point that's the point when atreus is like oh yeah look at all that water that's falling i wonder what would happen if you threw your axe to freeze that waterfall yeah oh okay cool there's also i i think one of the more frustrating things for me i think with this game is where the pacing ends up at times i had heard 
heard and seen this in a lot of reviews early on that the pacing starts to get kind of worse the further in you get, especially in kind of the middle of the game, which is, I think, about where I'm at at this point. And I remember playing the first like five or six hours and being like, I don't know what people are talking about. I think this pacing is great. And then I hit this one sequence in particular where I'm introduced to a new character. I'm fascinated by them. They seem really great. And I do want to learn more about them. But unfortunately, instead of the confidence that they had in previous games where you could do it like through a boat ride, you know, while you're making your way from point A to point B or like literally while you're making your way through like combat or something, they I don't want to say too much, but they put you on like the back of, a, of an animal and you just like slowly wade through a river while exposition just happens. And it's like actually almost 30 minutes of this. <laughs> yeah, it's too much. Which yeah. I like I, I couldn't do it. Like I, re- I had a really hard time. And by the time it was done, I needed to like put the controller down and be like, that's it for my session today. Like, I, I don't think that I can keep going with this game after uh, having played so much of it in one sitting. I was like bu- so bummed out by that that I was like, I need to just like take a step back. But it's been few and far between where I've had sequences like that. I mean, usually it's pretty good, but I, I do think you're right that there are certain things that they completely nailed in the first game that are a little bit lost. I think actually one of the first ones is in the first realm you go to. I don't want to say like where it is or what happens there, but it's the first time they present you with, do you want to do the main quest or do you want to do the side quest? And that magic trick of like one character wants to do one thing and one character wants to do the other one is completely gone now because Kratos and Atreus are like close enough and like believe in each other now. So Atreus is literally like, which one do you want to do? Do you want to go do the main quest or do you want to go do the side quest? Yeah, and And it feels like a tour guide and not like Atreus talking to me. Yes, and uh, and not characters having a conversation or butting heads, which is, you know, the first game success so much because like you as the player are Kratos and it is against your character to want to do the thing that Atreus wants to do because you don't want to do any of it at all in the first place that's like the main thing the main thing driving Kratos is that he wants to sit at home yeah. <laughs> he doesn't want to go out <laughs> exactly it just it, there was a there was a tighter focus and like you know at the end of the day the game plays incredibly well the combat is so fun I love the new settings yeah. it's it's a beautiful experience and when it's good it's it's on par with the first yeah but yeah it just it's just messier in those moments and i think a lot of that is just because like i couldn't really tell you what we're trying to work towards like the characters have at least early on yeah um and i talked i talked with a few friends about this but like kratos just seems like he's like kind of vibing now like he doesn't really seem to have like a i think he has a perspective on things and he voices it consistently and atreus is is definitely more of the driving factor this time Mm -hmm. but even his goals within the first six of the game he also doesn't fully know like what he wants out of them yeah it's more just a general sense of curiosity so like that makes moments of like so what do you want to do next it's like i don't know you tell me it's like yeah you do need a little bit more of like a even if it's a red herring just like i feel like that would help kind of center the action a bit more because it just feels a little loose especially because it's right Ragnarok. like this is this is weirdly like a much more relaxing game than the first and this is supposed to be the end of the world you yeah. know yeah i imagine it will ramp up to that but like yes well t- yeah we're yeah. technically in fimble winter which is right, the precursor right. to ragnarok so right. like ragnarok is coming but we don't know how it's gonna happen yet there's a thing i don't want to talk about in this section i do want to talk about in spoilers that is a specific note about the end of the first game that i think w- when i say it to you might reframe a lot 
lot of your thoughts about this game, which like I had a moment where I was reminded of this and it and it totally changed my relationship with a lot of my feelings about even things like this side quest thing that we were talking about. before. Yeah. But I do think un- until that moment happens in this game, you are kind of left to like, a, oh, this game is bigger than the first. And sometimes that's a problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it's it's it can be less focused. But I will say just, you know, to take a step back and, and talk about some of the stuff that I'm really enjoying, like there are things that are bigger that I really love. It does remind me strangely enough of Ratchet and Clank at times yeah. where like yeah. you'll go to a realm. There is a main quest to do and then there will be an area that exists just for side quests. And that's like its own little mini open world. And you can just run around and kind of do whatever and happen into things and like go, you know, find new loot and like maybe stumble into a side quest that you didn't even know was there. Like that kind of stuff is happening all the time and on my playthrough so far it definitely has been i don't want to say completionist but like closer to how i played the first game for the first time which was like i do actually feel like i'm being rewarded constantly for everything that i'm doing and i do want to engage with all of this that having been said i do think that the first game's armor stuff like the ways in which you upgraded your armor, the ways in which you crafted armor were bad, to be clear. I don't think they're good. Yeah. <laughs> and I think they're worse now. <laughs> the UI is still kind of a mess. Yeah, it's yeah. better, but it's it's not it's it's the same kind of issues. Well, in which... the first game, I felt like I was constantly getting new pieces of armor. I was able to craft new pieces of armor frequently enough that I never felt bad, like building a new thing or equipping a new thing. And in this game, they're really focusing on like, we want you to make Kratos play the way you want to play as Kratos, right? And that presents itself in a bunch of different ways. But unfortunately, what that also means is that I am in this space where I am never sure that I, if I'm going to get a better piece of armor that will replace the one that I have or if I should be investing in the stuff that I have now. You know, like I want to use this armor that makes, you know, the axe build up more frost damage. But who knows if I'm going to get a better piece of armor that does an even cooler thing later. And when I get that, have I wasted all the resources that I've been picking up throughout my playthrough of this game? Where I'm going to be like kind of fucked if I want to upgrade that until I go into what I imagine is a new game. Plus, I don't know if that's actually in this game or not. But, you know, when I go into a new game plus and then I can get those resources again and invest them in that armor, like that kind of stuff, those kinds of points where I feel like I'm locked out of actually making a decision and i'm like i'm just gonna wear this worse armor for the next five hours just in case (laughs) like is not is not as fun as it should be i want to be engaging with this stuff more and i feel like the first game for all of the grievances i have about the way the armor works in it and the ways in which you upgrade your character i did feel more like i had a more fluid choice of what i could be checking out and trying which is definitely a little bit of a bummer I think by comparison, because yeah. it was like, honestly, <laughs> I think I might have mentioned this on the episode, maybe not. But like what I wanted out of God of War Ragnarok was give me the same caliber of story a second time. The game can be the same length or shorter. I won't really care. All I want is for the armor to be fixed. Like that was like <laughs> number one. That was my I was a one issue voter. And that was <laughs> that was what I wanted. Yeah. And it's 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 still a little messy. And also like I, I like I talked about this on the bonus. I like how much God of War loves being a video game. Like, I think, you know, in a lot of the other PlayStation studio stuff like last of us it's yeah. it's very much using a game to its advantage in terms of telling a story in an interactive way but last of us doesn't want to like you're not going to kill someone or a zombie in that game and have a bunch of power-ups fly out of them you know <laughs> right. whereas yeah. like god of war loves that and i love that it weirdly adds a lot of levity you know when kratos mm-hmm. rips a frogman in half and like a bunch of purple gems fly out i'm like this is this yeah. this rules i love it but <laughs> Yeah, I punched a troll so hard a poem came out. Yeah, 
<laughs> but it's also like this goes back to kind of maybe like a sort of giving us too much direct information where it's like I'm seeing constant like text boxes appear of like oh now you get this burst of damage for the next like 0.7 seconds and it's Mm -hmm. like there's just too much noise sometimes even with the mechanics yeah and I think also as much as I enjoy having all the stuff at the beginning I do think the first game benefited from the slow ramp up of power and I understand you can't do that again unless you like have Kratos lose all his stuff like Samus or something yeah I was gonna say yeah but I think having like starting that game with just the axe and then at the end having this like full arsenal of options was really cool and also tied to the story so well mm-hmm. so you know these these are all like kind of small things to what is otherwise like a great game that's really hard to put down like i'm having a lot of fun with it yeah i love it i don't think i've yeah. said that actually just outright like i love <laughs> this game i'm having a really good time with it and i think it's spectacular but it's, I, it's it's hard to not as you and i say all the time with with games that are this good it's hard to not point at its flaws and be like these are the few things that i wish they were just touched up a little bit you know exactly i feel the same way i also think that like if you are someone who enjoyed the first game i think you will have a great time with this one yeah um yeah no question obviously everyone has their own opinion and like this may not work for everybody but like it is delivering on what the first game did well yes in in a pretty big way and I already don't expect it to maybe hit the same highs as the first, but like I'm very invested in where the story is going and I'm definitely going to see it through. Yeah, me too. I imagine I'm going to be done with it like within a couple of weeks <laughs> or maybe even sooner. I'm not even really sure. I do want to say before we get into the spoiler section, um, yeah. I asked a couple of weeks ago on the show just kind of ambiently and a couple of people responded if they would be interested in as patrons, if they would be interested in like full playthroughs of games uh, that were like behind the patron wall essentially things that like i'm sitting down to play this game anyway i might as well record it i don't really consider it a let's play as much as like here's just my playthrough i just happen to be recording it and people responded pretty positively to that so i have been doing that for god of war ragnarok by the time this episode is up there will be a post on the patreon um the first episode is like freely available and that's on youtube and you can go watch it and if you pack the patreon you'll get a link Uh, or there will be link in that post to the playlist that has the rest of the episodes. It's definitely been, I I think the big thing for me was like sitting down and playing this and doing this. I didn't want to like muddy my own experience with this game and get so wrapped up in like, I'm making content, you know, like that's like the last thing I wanted was to be like, I'm actually ruining this experience for myself by needing to sit here and like do commentary the whole time. But that having been said, it has been really fun to sit down and like know that there is the presence of a microphone, I guess in a way to like voice thoughts or how this relates to Norse mythology or like the interesting ways in which they're twisting my expectations of the first game and things like that. So I will say that even though I'm considering it an extremely low-key Let's Play, I've been more vocal in the videos than I thought. So if you're interested in that, you can back the Patreon. You can just like see my playthrough of this whole game. That'll be available there. I think, I mean, as of this recording, I have about like 10 hours of it done and uploaded and it's like ready to go. Um, And so I imagine by the time this is out, there will be even more than that. Oh uh, yeah, that's awesome. Go check that out. I'm just going to do that for the whole game is my plan. Um, <laughs> and it's uh, it's been really fun. I've been really enjoying it. Um, And thank you to the people who tuned in. Uh, while I was streaming that as well, uh, which was fun. Yeah, I, I wanted to, but I didn't want to spoil myself. Yeah, so I, that's was, the thing. I was a viewer from afar. I was like during those streams, turning people away who were like, I've never played the first game. Like, you should go do that. <laughs> show, here. show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't exactly. I don't want to block you from our channel, but I will. Anyway, do you want to take a break here and then talk some spoilers about Ragnarok? Yes, I definitely want to. And uh, just to cap it off, it's a good video game. Glad I'm playing it. It's a good time. Yep. No one else is saying it. 
It's a pretty fun game. Finally, someone has the guts (laughs) to say God of War Ragnarok is good. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Steven, we're back. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Before we get into anything, spoilers up until where you have played, uh, which is like the first like five or six hours, it seems like. Um, Yeah, I just met the squirrel, basically. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Yeah. Full spoilers for 2018 as well, because I, th- yes. I, th- I think I, I, we're going to need to reference that to talk about yeah. what's happening here. It was even hard last section to not. Yeah. I was like, Atreus wants to do some things. Yes. Yeah. Here's your here's your last off ramp, dear listener, if you don't want to be spoiled, because I'm about to say a huge thing that happens at the end of the first game uh, in relation to what we were just talking about. So three, two, one. Here it comes. So that game ends with you making it to the top of the mountain in Jotunheim, you know, the tallest mountain in all the realms. And while you're making your way up, there are these inscriptions on the walls, which uh, depict your entire journey, the two of you, Kratos and Atreus, up until this point. Two big things happen during this moment. Number one is that Atreus notes that his name is not Atreus in all of this writing, but it's instead Loki. And it's this reveal that like, oh yeah, Loki has been absent from this game and from this version of Norse mythology this entire time because he's your kid. <laughs> uh, he's, he's Kratos' son um, and uh, kind of raises some interesting questions, which you and I have talked about a lot on the bonus and elsewhere. And we'll probably talk about again of like, what what is Norse mythology without Loki? Um, it's an, it's a really interesting question to pose. And I think they did a really good job in the first game and are continuing to do a really good job in the second game with, yeah. um, the second big thing that happens is very briefly, there's a moment where Atreus doesn't notice this, but there's a moment where Kratos is continuing to look at these inscriptions on the wall and there's a sheet covering one of them and the wind blows it. And all you see is this one, uh, pictograph of, Atreus holding a dead Kratos in his hands. Kratos notes it, says nothing, doesn't mention it to Atreus, and then like keeps on moving on. And like that's how that scene ends. There is, I think, the weight of that. I think the weight of that one panel on that wall is the thing that is driving a lot of Kratos' decision making in this game. And it's not it's not from the perspective of like I need to do everything I can to avoid this. It's more this is clearly written. You know, like Kratos yeah. I think is acknowledging the fact that the giants somehow knew all of this was going to happen. He has decided to enter this realm where it's cyclical in ways that are like so obvious that even you know the gods who exist are like i don't know if this you know depicts the present or the future or the past like whatever it it all doesn't even matter because ragnarok is going to come it's going to wipe us out and then we're going to do this all again um like there is there's a tacit acknowledgement of the fact that like this will happen or this has happened um so i think kratos is like shit i'm wrapped up in this uh this is going to happen to me one way or the other and what that means really is now we have a version of Kratos who like loves his son openly, which is great. Yeah. Wants the best for him, wants him to become the best version of himself and also understands that in doing so it will lead to his own death probably. And yeah. who knows, maybe this game ends and like the big swerve is that he doesn't die. I'm not sure. But knowing that, like acknowledging that moment in my head has totally reframed a lot of my thoughts about this because like, yeah, Kratos wants to go do a side quest with his son because he wants to like exist with his son. And the longer he spends going and like helping out Brock or Sindri or freeing uh, a big whale from its chains or whatever, uh, is just another moment he gets to spend with Atreus before he probably dies during Ragnarok. 
Yeah, there are a lot of scenes in the in 2018 that are kind of mirrors of each other. So like, you know, there's the scene very early on where they're hunting for the first time and yeah. and Atreus has to kill this deer seemingly for the first time and Kratos has finished what you started. Mm-hmm. You know, and then and then they're able to uh well, they try but then a troll shows up and it's the first boss. <laughs> um but uh that is mirrored later when like the idea of killing has changed to Atreus and like mm-hmm. um there are also mirrors between like Kratos killing Boulder at the end and Kratos fighting Boulder when he shows up at the house, you know, in both cases he cracks his neck but it's like a very different meaning and and for a different reason in both cases so i imagine that this game will have a similar thing and one of the first scenes in this game Mm -hmm. is kratos and atreus coming home to fenrir who is their big pet wolf and if you're familiar with norse mythology fenrir is this giant wolf that basically doesn't stop growing and is fated to eat odin like In the Battle of Ragnarok, Fenrir will is the thing that kills Odin. Yeah. Um, so one of, of Loki's the, children, also one of Loki's children. So in this game, they've reinterpreted that as his beloved dog, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but who's also very sick, which and normal sized, normal sized sick dog, <laughs> which kind of I wonder that was also a sort of like connection to Atreus also being ill in the first game mm. or not. But regardless, like it's revealed that Fenrir is dying and Kratos is essentially like, you have to accept that he's not going to be here anymore. Yeah. And it's a really sad scene. And I'm like, I feel like this is going to happen again, but with Kratos, with Kratos, you yeah. know, and we'll see. That's just a hunch. But, um, I do think you're right that like, you really should. And that's another reason why to play the first one is like, I think this game is not only expecting, but relying on an understanding and knowledge of the first. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the, the big thing that I was trying to avoid saying explicitly in the last section is Atreus is torn between like, what is being Loki mean? What is the prophecy for Loki? You know, am I meant to bring war to Asgard? Uh, it's revealed and i do like this i like that atreus is also becoming a little more like loki in kind of benign ways but like he's lying to a lot of people he's like kind of schmoozing more and like you uh, you have gotten to the scene where he meets with freya yeah yeah that is like the most loki shit ever yeah like to go into the den of the person who wants nothing more than to kill you to make a point to somebody else yeah and to be like I can weasel my way out of that. Yeah, that'll if things be fine. Go south. Yeah. yeah, I also really like that they've established that Loki and or Atreus and mm-hmm. Sindri are really good friends. Uh, Sindri's one of the dwarves. So silly. Like, it's such a funny yeah. pairing. And in that moment where Atreus goes to talk to Freya, you actually play as Atreus, which is one of the first big like. That was a uh, holy shit moment for me. Yeah, yeah, which honestly, I love playing as Atreus. It's a lot of fun. I cracked up. When he tried to punch through the treasure chest like Kratos, oh, and he yeah. was like, ah, f-, it hurts his hand. But uh, I, so, you know, the driving force is him. He It's revealed that he has been looking for Tyr, who mm-hmm. has essentially been set up. And this is similar to Norse mythology as well, because like a lot of the characters in Norse mythology that are usually written as the bad guys in these games are the good guys, mm-hmm. largely. But Tyr is like kind of he's like the thoughtful as guardian in both cases yeah you know actually he's the i believe Tyr is the one who lets fenrir bite his arm off yes um, you're right so like there's there is at least a compassion 
for the scorned from Tyr in, in the traditional myths. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the first game, Tyr was largely just talked about as this platonic ideal of what a god of war could be. Yeah. You know, not an aggressor, but a protector of the weak. And that seems to be also what Fey was like. You know, the axe that Kratos wields was made for Fey. Mm-hmm. And Fey seemed to have been like a champion of the underdog in, in these worlds. Yeah. Literally a revolutionary. Yeah, which and, and that's that's a plot point that I'm really enjoying in this game is like you actually meet like you go to Svartalfheim first, which is the realm of the doors, which I love. I love the look of Svartalfheim. Yeah, it's just cool. Riften meets with meets the Shire, basically. <laughs> you meet like dwarves who all seem to have been their spirits have been crushed. It seems that there at one point was this organized rebellion that Odin just like stomped out. And now yeah. they all kind of worship Odin out of fear to the point where no outsiders are welcome. So when you first like sail in, everyone is like, you know, going yeah, like an alarm inside. goes off and everyone goes and hides inside like it's bloodborne. Yeah, I don't blame them. If Kratos just casually was paddling my his way into my town, I would also <laughs> sound an alarm. <laughs> you do not want this fight. So, you know, Atreus trying to find Tyr. He's been tr- looking for Tyr secretly, yeah. unbeknownst to Kratos. And, um, but that's where it gets kind of foggy, where it's like, he wants to find Tyr, but he also doesn't really know why. And it doesn't seem like he has a strong stance either way on like what he wants, which is like honest. And it makes sense for the character. Mm-hmm. But I think it also leads to like that on top of, so do you want to do side quests? It's like, we just got done with you, like, musing about leading a revolution like why on earth would we do a side like, let's talk about this you know <laughs> it, just, it just makes those moments feel a lot more confusing yeah um, i know what you mean yeah. yeah i uh yeah what i i think the the thing about looking for tear is I, I i read it early on as kind of like he's looking for more information about Tyr. He's not looking for Tyr literally. And then slowly but surely you start to realize like, oh no, he thinks Tyr is like actually literally alive and he wants to like find him chained up in a hole somewhere because he thinks that like Odin literally just like shoved Tyr in a hole. And for a while I was like, that's very sad because he's, he's in this place where, you know, he's heard about himself as Loki. He doesn't really know what that means or who that is supposed to be and is looking for, literally any scrap of information about like giant society that would give him some kind of understanding of like who Loki is as the champion of Ragnarok, et cetera, et cetera. That whole bit with Svartalfheim is like, okay, cool. So you go, you go there because they think the tier might be there or some like idea of tier might be there. And you ride on that log flume as you were talking about. And Loki's talking, sorry, Atreus is talking so much about like, Oh, and when we find Tyr, he's going to do this and this. He's going to teach me this about myself. And I'm sure he's right behind that door there. Maybe it's that door right there or maybe that door right there. And Kratos yeah. is like, I can't wait to do the puzzles and check out all those doors. <laughs> and and Mimir is like, maybe you're both wrong. And maybe this is like, you know, a, a doomed quest. And I started to realize, and I said this in the videos that I made, but I started to have this moment where like slowly but surely... Atreus was talking so much about definitely finding Tyr and everyone was like, I don't know. I think you need to prepare for the inevitable that maybe he's not there that I was like, now the only surprising thing you can do is have Tyr be alive in this video game. And you do, you find him. He's actually there and he's, he's horrified of you because he's so used to being bound by that. chains. It, which it is, was such a great scene. Cause it would have been so corny if he was like, thank you. Let's thank journey you so, together. Yeah, thank, yeah. You, thank you so much. I'm so glad to be the God of war again. Let's yeah, go fight. You show him Amir's head and he's like, you killed him. Like, yeah, you killed my away. friend. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's awesome. Then they introduced here into the fold of, you know, this main cast of characters of which there are like hundreds, it feels like, but you know, they, they bring tear into the fold. 
immediately a really fascinating character because my yeah. feeling about that so he doesn't know anything about loki which is i think an important thing to note also he doesn't know anything about loki but he is like a pacifist through and through and i think one of the things that you and i were so interested in about the first game is this idea of the depictions of tear and the triptychs that you find around the world display this new idea of what a god of war can be and got and and kratos like starts to like consider it like he starts to think about it and say like you know maybe this guy is right maybe the the idea of being the god of war of a place actually means trying to avoid it at all costs um and i was i was curious to see what tier would be like in real life like when you actually meet him like what is his vibe because this game seems to, as you as you were alluding to in the first section, this game seems to be asking a pretty large question, which is like, when do you need to rise up against evil? Right. Yeah. One of the first things that happens in the game, which I am amazed you and I didn't talk about yet yeah. at all. <laughs> One of the first things that happens in this game is Thor shows up. Yeah. And, and and he shows up with some mead and he's like, let's have a chat. I need you to be calm. I, I think he, he says, are you a calm and reasonable person? Because yeah. right now is a time that you need to be a calm and reasonable person. And then the door gets banged on again. Atreus opens the door and oh, oh my God, here's Odin played by Richard <sighs> Schiff, looking exactly like Richard Schiff doing his best like like Sopranos adjacent version of Odin, which is yes. one of the most shocking decisions of casting maybe of all time it's fantastic i love how he goes like you know who i am like it is like there's no like there's no thunder there's no what i mean there's eventually thunder Um, (laughs) but that scene was great because it really just cut to the chase like that is those two are so set up as the the big villains in the first game that like them just sort of casually being like let's we're gonna drop talk and yeah <laughs> i think you're right like when odin first shows up he essentially wants peace it's the first thing he asks for is like let's not fight and he also secretly invites atreus to asgard which yeah. like that's a big looming mm-hmm. we don't really it i don't get the vibe that atreus is being fully honest like he talks to Sindri about it and i i wonder if eventually he's just gonna say yes to like learn more you know Mm -hmm. like it seems like that's where it's moving but regardless odin is like you know you basically stop interfering with everything and we won't we won't have a problem like and there's a coldness though because i mean because in the first game you killed thor's sons and balder and Thor and Odin are both like the sons don't matter. Like they were <laughs> a waste of time, but yeah. like Balder was important. Yeah. So like you owe us a debt. And Odin that way. calls Balder his closer, which is so funny. He's like, <laughs> Balder was my closer. He wasn't all there, but he was great at getting things done. Yeah. Um, very Sopranos. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so basically this question is immediately posed where it's like, if I think Kratos in the first game would have said yes to that offer, you know, like yeah kratos before he's, he's the journey. learned too much about odin yeah exactly. because he knows so, that everything odin is saying is bullshit like if odin's not gonna let you just sit here with loki yeah. Yeah, i'm sure he right. knows the <laughs> loki of it all like he's not he's not gonna let you sit here with one of like the most important people in norse mythology in your cabin and like doing nothing like obviously that's not gonna happen this is all bullshit so yeah when when kratos looks back at at odin and is like just one word just goes no it's like, oh, OK. It's, yes, it's it, so good. It's on. Yeah. So I, I think I think that's an interesting point, because 
the more time you spend in other realms, the more you learn about how Odin's hand specifically has like fucked these places so badly. Svartalfheim is maybe like the most direct one where it's like they're doing like Shinra level, like environmental collapse stuff (laughs) where there are these like big smokestacks pouring black filth into the air, you know, that's like settling down and killing the wildlife and animals. Um, literally there's the big whale that's chained up in that one side quest um that has been chained for so long it doesn't know like how to swim or like what to do outside of you know freedom um things like that so i i feel like the game is constantly hitting you with this idea of like kratos does want this quiet life with his son right now that he's gotten to this point where he feels comfortable being like yes i'm a dad and that's sick actually um <laughs> But also Atreus and some of the other characters are starting to feel the like actual duty to rise up against Odin, who has been an oppressor for so long. I mean, it is it is not a far cry to say that this is a game about the rise of fascism, you know. Yeah, probably probably specifically in the US, but definitely worldwide, like Richard Schiff as Odin has like Trump qualities to him in ways that I think are like even down to like the hubris of his evil being probably his own downfall in time. And that was one of the things I loved so much about the first game was the reveal of Loki at the end makes you question what Norse mythology is without Loki in it. And you and I have had a lot of conversations about it, but like, as I've already said, all of these characters exist to show you the folly of man and how, you know, one's own greed or, or hubris in themselves or like overconfidence can eventually ruin them. And Loki is such an easy scapegoat in Norse mythology to point at and be like, he's the guy. He's actually the guy who fucks us all up. He's the god of tricks. Of course, he's the reason that Ragnarok comes about. But what the first game proves is you can remove Loki from the situation entirely. And Odin, just by being so fucked up because he thinks he's so goddamn smart, will stumble ass backwards into causing Ragnarok himself <laughs> with or without Loki. Exactly. Fimble Winter starts at the end of that game, irrespective of of Kratos and, and Atreus's influence. I feel well. Yes, and no. I mean, I know yes, you mean. yeah. Like, like te- killing Balder might start yes. It. yes, yeah. Killing Balder is the reason, but I think you're right that like the the state of the world and the rising tension between factions was there before Kratos stepped foot out of Greece. Yes, you know, like that would have something would have happened there, and because I, Ragnarok really, is an inevitability, no matter what. Exactly. I with totally or without Atreus. That. Yes. I'm just really curious to see, like, because this game strikes such a 50-50 of, like, s- characters and moments in mythology are sometimes as they were in the tales, and then other times they're completely flipped, which makes you not sure whether or not Ragnarok will really play out the way we know it to. Yeah. You know, so there's so much kind of up in the air that it makes the story really gripping because I just need to know what happens. Yeah. And I think the biggest wild card is Freya, um, which I that's another thing I have a small issue with is just like the idea that she's just like constantly attacking Kratos and Atreus whenever they're like outrunning errands. It's just a little silly to me. Yeah. Like, you know, them being like, we don't want to fight you. We're just on our way home. And like, I get like, I, I do really like like the way the first game ends when she basically declares herself an enemy to them she's like you know i'm gonna you you've made an, a, a mortal enemy of me by killing my son mm-hmm. that really worked for me but the idea that she's like sort of like portrayed as almost hysterical and has the like permanent 
mascara tears i just find really silly and like accidentally misogynistic in some ways i feel i'm hoping that at some point later in the game they start to course correct on that too because i I feel exactly the same way about it yeah i i trust the writing enough that i'm sure she's gonna have a story i'm sure her story will play out in a more meaningful way than that but it just how it comes across in the early beats yeah um i do like her scene with like if, if her introduction was that scene with Atreus trying to talk to her. Mm-hmm. I think that would have worked much better for me than her just like, you know, like they're almost like numb to like, okay, Freya's going to attack us on our way to hunting. It's like, yeah. it just, they feel jaded by yeah. her trying to kill them, which is right. not how you should feel. <laughs> and also like Atreus on his way is like making Nathan Drake quips like, oh, sorry, I killed your son. It's like, what on earth is happening here? Yeah. Like, that was just kind of a, a messy scene for me. So we'll see what happens with that. But ultimately, I mean, in this conversation, we've struggled to keep track of how many stories are happening here. And I think that's the best and worst thing about this game is like it is tackling way more. Yeah. And there's a lot of really great stuff in this story, but it's just by nature of that ambition, a little messier. Yeah, I'm pretty far into the game still, and I, I don't quite know what they're doing (laughs) like i don't i don't quite know what the story is because right now right now i mean you know thousand foot view it feels like what we're talking about in terms of like when is the when is the right time to rise up against your oppressors um seems to be kind of like the central conceit of this there's also the like looming question uh and and one of the things i find most interesting about this and if we ever do bonus about this i imagine this will be like kind of a big talking point but it seems to be this idea of okay yeah there is this coming of age story with loki right like or atreus turning into loki and like figuring out who that is and who he is and who he wants to be there's the obvious like parental side of kratos being like i need to give my son some rope so he can like you know start to start to kind of like trek out on his own become his own person i need to be supportive of whoever that person ends up being um but there is also this larger question of like, now that Kratos has forgiven himself, he also doesn't know who he is and who he's supposed to be and how he fits into this picture. So right. as much as like, I know we consider coming of age stories to be these stories about like young kids, like becoming who they're going to be as adults. But I do think that this game has a really interesting twist on that where it's like, well, yeah, adults can also have big question marks looming over their heads about who they're supposed Absolutely. to be as well. And yeah. I feel like Kratos is in this interesting place where he has figured out some things about himself, but he doesn't fully know his place in the world outside of that. He will probably die. Uh, but like <laughs> wants to figure that out in the way along the way, but also acts as kind of a, a helpful force for others. I mean, you and I talked a little bit about um, the, the freeing the whale story, which like very much is Kratos imparting all of this wisdom onto Mimir, right. Is saying like, yeah. here's how you can forgive yourself. And that's really cool. That's a really cool and interesting story to be telling. So you have that as I feel like the central theme alongside the like, who am I supposed to be? Oh, the answer is like a champion of an army to overthrow fascism um, is another angle of it, which I, I I feel like those two things do actually have conversation with one another. I do feel like those two things aren't totally separate. It's not like, oh, these are the two things this game is trying to do. I do feel like they're intertwined. I just don't know how intertwined yet. But also my like big now that you you have mentioned it and i feel like this is probably what's going to happen i feel like the the maybe twisty thing that happens is at the beginning of the game as you mentioned fenrir dies and this like blue something comes out of his mouth and kratos is like hey did you see that and Trace is like what are you talking about i didn't see anything yeah Um, 
I didn't cast the spell. Yeah, no. I didn't cast the spell. What are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, there's no way in hell that Fenrir is actually dead. Like Fenrir is so <laughs> important to the story of Ragnarok that of course he's going to come back. He's like, he's fascinating. He's a fascinating character and he yeah. needs to exist. There's also the conversation when you're playing as Atreus with Sindri where he like reveals a very big thing about Brock, which is fascinating. Yeah. Where he's that like, was a really that was a shocking reveal to have like while walking. I feel yeah. like that deserved a cutscene. This I is feel, what I'm talking you know? about. Where like yeah. this game can be so confident and can be it can be firing on all cylinders, and then sometimes you're like literally on the back of an ox in a bog, and somebody's just talking to you, <laughs> which is like <laughs> you could. <laughs> I've seen you do it well. Um, anyway, uh, he mentions Brock died. He went to the Lake of Souls, I think it's called. And tried, yeah, a, yeah. tried to get Brock's soul back, but only got a couple pieces of his soul total. Right. I think he said yeah. like two thirds of his soul. There were three little light orby things that came out of Fenrir's mouth. I feel like this is going to happen with Kratos, right? Like Kratos is going to die. But it's going to be like, a, but is he dead? Like, or is or is it the end? Or, or is it or is know? Atreus going to go to Helheim to bring Fenrir back? You know, yeah, and I think. Well, that's, that's another that's going to happen. But I feel like, you know, this lingering idea of oh, like see, yeah. when somebody dies, maybe they're not really dead in this world it has to be the big Kratos turn, because I, I don't I don't know if they'll like kill him off, kill him off. You know, I wonder. Yeah, because the only I think the creator or the director of the game, mm. I, I don't I don't know the who the exact quote is attributed to, but I've read that like this has been pitched as the end of the Norse era for God of War. Yeah. And there I think it was said that like Egyptian or Mayan mythology are on the table, which would be awesome. But I do wonder if like you need like if, if Kratos has to be the protagonist of every God of War or, or if there's gonna be like a passing of the baton in some way. I really hope there is. I like yeah. I, I don't I would not mind I mean, I would be very sad to see Kratos die. Obviously, that'd be yeah. a real bummer. But there has been some conversation, at least in where I've played. I don't know if it's where you've played, where where Atreus does talk about like wanting to explore other realms. Like he does want to go check out other stuff and see like not all. I don't even mean like the nine realms of Norse mythology, but like the other realms, like the Egyptian realm and and you know Greece and things like that. Um, he wants to check that stuff out and like yeah give me that like i would play that yeah that sounds cool that'd be awesome i would love that yeah i don't don't know where it's going i mean that's that's kind of the big thing for me is like it does feel like it's ambling a little bit and i don't know where it's headed yet um yeah but i'm excited to find out another thing is like i don't at the end of the day i ultimately like am invested in this story i don't need god of war as a series to continue to exist you know like yeah i would love to see where it could go but like i also wouldn't mind this being like the finale i'm sure it won't be given it's such a big series but mm-hmm. yeah i'm really curious to see where this story goes and i wonder if that will also shed some light on where like the series is headed overall yeah god of war ragnarok god of war ragnarok May- might have heard of it <laughs> i uh i'm excited i'm excited to keep playing i'm gonna i'm gonna be playing it a lot i guess we wrap up then yeah let's do it uh hey thank you so much for listening into the cast that online is still our hub for everything uh thank you very much to our generous patrons as well like brendan mentioned earlier um if you back the patreon for a dollar you'll get access to those videos of his god of war playthrough all of our patron episodes as well still very close to our goal uh to do that 3ds episode so once we get there i'm excited to revisit that library um, and again, no pressure to back the Patreon, but it does really help us grow as a show and do more uh, episodes like that. 
Uh, I think the big thing uh, with finding us now is the fate of Twitter, uh, and we'll keep you posted on that. Um, I know we're making a Tumblr for the show relatively soon, so we'll have more information on that. Into the cast.tumblr.com. Into the cast.tumblr.com. Um, but into the cast.online will forever be the point of like everything is in orbit of that. So yes. you can find everything relating to the show from there. Yeah. I don't know if I don't know if I have anything else. What are you excited about? <laughs> Pokemon. Po- <laughs> Never have we been able to reduce the show into two sentences before. <laughs> but I think that might be that that's the Ragnarok of our show. What are you excited for? Pokemon. Then just yeah, Fimble the gentle outro. Yeah. Fimble Winter. <laughs> uh, a reminder, our bonus this month is going to be FF7. And for patrons, we're doing a uh, commentary recording on FF7 Advent Children, which I cannot wait to see. I can't believe I haven't seen it. It'd be so silly. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm there's still a number of games that haven't come out yet that I'm excited to check out. Um, it's been a really, really great year for video games. Um I mean, what I've learned during this show is that every year is good for video games, but (laughs) every now and then there's a year where it's like especially, especially good. And this is definitely one of them. Yeah. So yeah. Goaty's going to be very interesting. Yeah. Goaty's fucked up already. Yeah. I'm I'm, uh, I'm having a great time out here. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you all for listening. Into the castle online. My name is Brendan Bigley. Um, Find find me at (laughs) brendanbigley.com. Oh, I like that. That's cool. How about that? Because that's uh, that's that's not my Twitter handle. <laughs> my Twitter handle's there if you want to follow me there. But who knows? Yeah, I, I think just just for those curious, like I think our plan is to keep Twitter active until it's like very clear that yeah, there's a point of no return. Um, I am. It, it's hard to be optimistic for the fate of that website at this point, yeah. but I really do hope it it recovers in some capacity. It changes so much day by day that like yeah. there's literally no way of knowing where it's going to be by the time this episode comes but yeah, out by, by this Wednesday, which is yeah, exactly. a few days from when we're recording yeah the so amount of people yeah we, i don't have to get into it but i i am i'm just like fascinated by it in, in in like the most morbid way possible yeah it's a it's a mess but um you can i guess i like the website plug that might be a fun uh change to our outro yeah uh, my website's stephenhilgerart.com, and that's also my handles on Instagram and Tumblr as well. Hell I yeah. haven't really been super active there, but like that's where I share drawings. And I made my Tumblr this year. I somehow just missed the Tumblr era entirely. Um, Dude, so welcome. I'm here. Thanks for having me. I'm loving being back on Tumblr. Also, it's a great time. I just, I just want to mention yeah. that. I think I think tum- Tumblr is the only I think platform at the moment that's like mature enough to handle the influx of of new people from Twitter, but also people on tumblr are trying to prevent people from twitter from joining they're like trying to be like cringy on purpose to like deter people from twitter which is honestly the most tumblr thing possible but is also like come on man there are people are on a lifeboat and you're gonna turn them away <laughs> yeah we'll see what happens but anyway thank you so much for listening we will see you next week goodbye everybody bye bye